I'd like to welcome everyone to the 21 News WFMJ podcast. Thank you so much for being here. A very important discussion today. And I'm happy to introduce Karen Lewis, who is a senior researcher at the NWEA. Uh, Karen, tell us uh, what organization you work for. I work for NWEA, and we are an assessment solution provider. Our flagship product is the MAP Growth Assessment, which is used in about a quarter of public schools across the nation to measure students' academic progress and growth. It's an interim assessment, so unlike those end-of-year kind of high-stakes tests that tell us whether kids have met the benchmarks for that grade, our assessment is more like a thermometer that's used multiple times throughout the year to get a sense of where kids are and what they're ready to learn next. This has been a very challenging year. And looking at it from the perspective of a journalist and a parent, remote learning was difficult to say the least, especially when schools closed last spring, because no one was really prepared for how long we were going to be out. And then when we were out for weeks and weeks, it became more challenging for students, not just for their emotional health, but a challenge to keep up with their studies, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm a parent of a second grader myself, so that all lives true to my experience. We are still fully remote where I am in Portland, Oregon. Um, and yes, I think kids and adults alike are social creatures, and we really gain a lot of motivation from being around others. And it has been very challenging for the, the kids, the teachers, the staff, everyone involved to do this remotely. But I think um, Teachers have really risen to the challenge and had to be very innovative and creative to reaching kids in these new and challenging circumstances. And our data speaks to whether or not that was successful in some ways. And speaking uh, to that data, you all get very in-depth with how the school closures and how remote learning has impacted achievement, uh, whether it be in math or reading. Tell us a little bit about that research and what you have found during this time, not just from last spring, but really during this fall and and on to this spring for the past year. Well, when schools initially shut down back in March of 2020, our research team made some projections of what we thought might happen across the pandemic based on what we know about how learning progresses over the summer when kids aren't receiving any instruction at all. And then this fall, once kids were, some kids were back um, and able to be tested, whether that was in the classroom or at home, we were able to revisit those projections of what we thought might happen with actual data. And what we found is that um, the, the worst case scenario didn't really come true. We see that kids are actually still making some progress. In reading, it seems to be pretty on par with a typical year. Um, the picture is not quite so rosy in math, but we see more impacts. And if we compare where kids started this fall to what we might expect in a more typical year, looking back to 2019, we see kids in math are entering anywhere between five to 10 percentile points lower, depending on the grade, than their peers in a more typical year. But in reading, kids were entering this fall looking pretty similar to what we saw in more typical years. That's a much more positive outlook than maybe perhaps we thought. Uh, in reading articles like across the United States, there were, uh, you know, insinuations that teachers had empty grade books. And in some cases that was true, especially in more disadvantaged neighborhoods, uh, struggling to 
really get access to technology, access to their Zoom classes and whatnot. And they were finding themselves maybe not uh, with the failure of of not achieving, but with failing to just even turn in assignments. Did you see that at all while you were looking at the at the numbers? Yes, and I think that's a really important caveat to what we did find is that we see results for the kids that actually took our test. And if we compare what the kids that took our test were like in more uh, previous years, and we look at the characteristics of those kids and the kids we're seeing this year, we are seeing that there is some pretty significant attrition. Fewer kids are testing, and it's not a random sample of kids. The kids that were more likely to be missing from this fall's assessment were lower achieving in in prior years. And they also tended to be from the demographic groups that we expect were probably more hard hit by the pandemic. So more likely to be Black or Latinx, which I think is alarming for a number of reasons, whether those kids are just engaged with the testing process or are disengaged with school altogether. It's a lot of cause for concern there. And it also places an asterisk, I think, on our results that these are the results we see for kids that did get access to testing and did um, have results for us to look at. Uh, we may actually be underestimating the impact of the pandemic because we are missing this particular subsample of kids. In just playing off of the testing that that you've mentioned, how do you feel about testing for spring? I know a lot of Ohio schools who have been remote, uh, some in more rural areas are really pushing for all of the kids to get back by April 7th when testing is scheduled to begin for our state. How do you feel about, you know, there's some pushback obviously from educational experts who say this is not the right time to test them. Or do you think testing is really a a good chance to, you know, gather that information? Yeah, I think it's a really a mixed bag. And I certainly have, um, you know, just, so much empathy for what teachers and students are going through. And I understand how a teacher's perspective of how important every last minute of FaceTime is with kids to be able to get instruction to them. With that said, an assessment like ours, as I said earlier, it is a thermometer and it helps us know where kids are at. And this is anything but a typical school year. And we just don't know really what to expect about what kids have or have not learned over the last year. And so having some data to really shine a light on what kids are ready to learn next, where we can fill in those gaps, what learning has gone unfinished is really critical so that we can meet kids where they're at and get them on track to really succeed this year and beyond. What do you say to parents? And I know this is more of maybe an an opinion and and you can answer uh, as you will, but what I guess, what do you think for parents who are still saying, I'm grappling with that decision right now, of whether to send my child back, especially some of the younger kids, uh, until everybody's vaccinated, until we really know that mutations aren't a danger, et cetera? I think I can't speak to that from a research scientist perspective, but as a parent myself, I am jumping at the chance for my daughter to get FaceTime with a teacher. Mm-hmm. I know how excited she is about that opportunity and how much she just gets from being around peers. So yes, I'm keeping a very close eye on case rates in my county and in my school. And I'm, you know, being very, <laughs> a high level of scrutiny on the plans within my school district for how they're going to cope with outbreaks and how they're going to monitor what's happening around them. But I know that's a very personal decision that parents just have to decide what's best for them based on their circumstances. Thank you for answering that uh, and giving, you know, your experience too as a parent. 
your background, I I feel is in education, uh, teaching, perhaps, or no, I do not have teaching experience. My training is in social psychology, and my expertise is in students, basically their social emotional learning and the how their school culture and climate affects their academic outcomes. Excellent. Uh, well, you are the one that 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 we needed to speak to today, and and we're so grateful. Um, let me ask you the long term effects of COVID nineteen and its impact on education. I know you said that things didn't look quite as bad as maybe some predicted, which is so good to know. What do you think long-term? And do we even know that there's there's going to be long-term effects? I think that it's really too early to say. That is really at the top of our research agenda, being able to track students across this year. The data I've shared today was collected back in the fall and our partners are testing in the winter season and then again this spring. So our eyes are on what recovery looks like this year. We know from previous evidence about what happens over the summer months, there's this phenomenon called summer slide that kids leave in the spring a little higher achieving than they enter in the fall, which is to be expected given they are not experiencing any instruction. But we know with the kids that tend to slide the most over the summer also tend to make larger gains when they're back in the classroom. So we'll be really interested to see whether the kids that lost the most across the pandemic, if their brains are just little sponges that are ready to soak up learning and we might see accelerated patterns of growth across the year. But at this point, it's just all too, un- there's just too many unknowns to really predict what's going to happen. I like the idea of uh, sponges who are, you know, taking in and may want to take in even more uh, when they go back, whether that be this year or again in the fall. That's such a hopeful, optimistic way to think. And I think we should all be feeling that way um, in some sense, because kids need positive reinforcement. You being in social psychology and and, and really uh, examining all of these behaviors, the emotional health of kids has been affected, right? Yes, I think so. And, and like I said earlier, we are all social creatures. And when we have to spend our time alone, maybe seeing some friendly faces on a screen, but not next to us, we just aren't functioning to the, you know, our, our maximum capacity. I experienced that working remotely from my bedroom where you're reaching me right now. And I know my daughter does as well. And so that's another factor for me in wanting to get her back in the classroom. I know it's not without risk, but I also know the benefits are really high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else that you think would be important to let people know about in in terms of you know this academic year? I think one point I really want to stress is that this is not a story of loss. I think a lot of researchers have framed this conversation around learning loss. I think we need to be clear that when we are comparing the the achievement we're seeing of kids this year, Comparing it to a typical year is kind of a non-starter. There was nothing typical about this year, and that's an unfair standard to hold students to. It's an unfair standard to hold teachers to. So that our achievement results that we're seeing are not on par with those kind of worst-case scenarios we predicted, I think really underscores the heroic efforts of teachers and schools and families to come together to support kids in what has been such a challenging experience for us all. Karen, uh, anything else you'd like to add uh, from from your base there in Portland, Oregon? Uh, I would just say check back with us in a few months as we can look at spring testing to see how kids have progressed over the year. We'll Hopefully this will just be the first of many results we'll be able to release to help people really understand what's happening for kids. You're pretty hopeful though. 
I think so. I am. That is, uh, that's exciting across the board, I think, as vaccines are becoming more available, teachers and classrooms have been able to get it. Uh, it, it's, it's just something we all need. And, uh, you know, I've seen the mental health of my own child and it's nice to, to think of them being in person again, very soon. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right. Karen Lewis, uh, with the NWEA, I said that correctly, right? Yes. And, um, tell me what that stands for once again. It is. It used to be. Uh, uh, now it is just in WAA. It doesn't really stand for anything anymore. Okay. Okay. All right. I was trying <laughs> to. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, Karen, I appreciate your time. Uh, for all of us here listening to the podcast, I hope you got as much out of it as I did, and uh, we appreciate um, all your insight into this academic year and and this very unusual time for kids and learning. Thank you, Karen. Happy to be here.